beautiful message to think about, thinking about so many voices that pull at us and yell at us and tell us we must fit and look like this. And we need to be reminded of words like Riley sings that there is one voice we need to listen to. And our identity is not in anything else but in him. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we're going to continue. We read a little in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to back up to Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles if you have them. And would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. Hebrews opens this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through him also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond together. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I can clearly recall my fourth grade classroom. It sat on the west side of uh, the elementary school in the sleepy little town of Deer Park, Washington. I, I can even recall the day is just a, a week after that we had met. I think our whole school had met in the school library um, around what I'm imagining I think was probably a 19-inch television set. And we gathered around this 19-inch television set and watched the first landing of a space shuttle. Now, to a fourth-grade boy, that was a pretty cool thing, uh, to watch that come down and to think about where it had been. And some of you who lived through the era of space uh, remember those kind of things and those kind of things that got our attention. When the teacher asked uh, who would wanted to do a... There were a number of reports that were being done, but who wanted to do a report on that and kind of give some of the statistics, an oral report uh, for extra credit? I volunteered, and so I went to work. And this would be the first time I'd ever stood up in front of people and given any kind of speech other than, um, you know, show and tell, bringing a frog or, or something like that. And so I worked real hard at it, and I got everything done, and I have no idea what I said. I would imagine it was things I copied directly out of the newspaper, probably, of facts and figures. Uh, I don't recall it all, but I do recall uh, standing there when I finished and wasn't sure uh, what to do now. And the teacher said, are you done? And I said, yes, I'm done. And he said, well, you can sit down. And so that was the beautiful words to my ears. I had finished the project. I had paid my dues. I had given the report. The work was done. And, And you know this. There is something incredibly satisfying when you finish the work and you sit down. Now, I wouldn't have sat down in the middle of the report. It wasn't done. I wouldn't have finished the report, gone and sat down, turned around and gave it again because it already had been done. I had finished. I sat down. I had accomplished. This morning, we look at the book of Hebrews. Now, as a kid, when I came across the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, as a kid, I would think, is this book in the wrong place? Because it seems like Hebrews should be an Old Testament book. I mean, the the Jewish people, the Hebrews, aren't these God's people? Aren't these the people of the Old Testament? And 
And that's exactly who this book is written for. It's written for the Jewish Christians of the latter half of the first century. If you remember your history, you know that the latter half of the first century was not a good time for Christians. This was the time in which Romans were gathering in Colosseums and lions were being let out and Christians were being eaten and the persecution was thick. In fact, some Jewish Christians were thinking about giving up the Christian faith, going back to Judaism just to escape the persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to these folks who are walking through a tough place, who are walking through persecution, and he's writing to these Jewish folks saying, listen, you can't go back to your old ways. You're under a new covenant. Living the law isn't going to save you. Only God's grace through the sacrificial life of Jesus is where you'll find salvation. This, this is his purpose as he writes. It's a little like me saying I'd like to go back uh, to that age when I was in fourth grade. It, it just isn't going to happen. It's impossible. The, the, too much has, has taken place. The progression of life goes on. And for the Christian, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're not separate stories. They're not something you just go back to. For the New Testament is the same story. It's the story of God's salvation. That's the writer's concern as he opens this book, the book of Hebrews. Look again at verse number one, would you, with me? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Throughout time, God had spoken through the prophets. In fact, a lot of the Old Testament is God revealing himself through the prophets. I don't know if you've ever uh, been in a situation where you've heard about somebody. Maybe you have uh, friends who know a person. You've heard them talk about him, uh, him or her, and, uh, but you've never met them. And the day came and you actually met them and they were nothing like you imagined that they would be um, or how they, they, your friends had represented them. It was, uh, it was the spring of 1997. Jamie and I flew uh, here to interview with the church board uh, here in Sandpoint and I, I remember this. I wore docker pants, a, a denim, a Nazarene Theological Seminary shirt and, uh, and threw in a tie for good measure. But as you can imagine, I was the only one wearing a tie uh, in that interview. And I remember Bob Muntz at the close of the interview. Now, back then, Bob was still working. If you didn't know Bob then, Bob was an appliance repairman. And Bob had a uniform that he wore just about every day, blue pants, blue shirt. If you've known Bob for a while, you've, you've known the blue pants and the blue shirt. Bob sits there in the blue pants and the blue shirt. And he says, at the close, he says, You know, I read all about Chad Wilkes. I heard about him. I just didn't think he'd be wearing a denim shirt. (laughs) Now, I didn't know what that meant, and I took the job anyway. But a few months later, I, I asked Bob, what did he mean by that? And he said, well, he really wasn't sure what he meant. But he just thought some, somebody coming from seminary in Kansas City, they'd probably have a dress shirt, and for sure they'd probably have some kind, of, some kind of jacket on, some kind of suit. He said, not that you weren't dressed nice. He says it was just different than I imagined. Now, as long as I'm speaking of Bob, I, I, I tell Bob that I'm, uh, I'm writing a book of Bob stories because um, there are lots of Bob stories, and I'm going to publish them one day. Um, but uh, it reminded me of another Bob story. It reminded me of the story uh, that, it, it, and, and I didn't get Bob's permission this morning. I just told him I was going to tell Bob stories. So he's still here. Um, 
He might nix it in the second service, I don't know. But uh, one of my favorite Bob stories is the story he tells about when he was uh, first started in Sandpoint, uh, got started as in the appliance business and many years ago and had moved here. And, and uh, there weren't cell phones, there weren't things like that. Had, there was an answering service you had to call in to get your messages. And so he would call the answering service, and, and he said that the, the girl on the other end who took the messages, he, her voice could melt butter said, you know, she was just always so sweet and so kind. She was a joy to talk to. And it was just fun to call in and get messages. And probably in her early 20s. And, and one day, a number of months had gone by, and Bob just couldn't stand it any longer. Uh, he was going to go pick up his messages in person. He wanted to meet this cute doll and see what she looked like. And he walked in. And he found a lady that could be his grandmother. But at least his grandmother had hair. He said it was the shock of his life. And I just picture that in that moment. You see, we never know. We would never know what God was really like unless he came and was amongst us. He sent his son. Not a, not a facsimile. Not just somebody else telling us about him. Not just how he sounds on the phone. He sent his son so that we might know the very image and the character of Father. Jesus said, if you have seen me, if you know me, then you have seen the Father. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also, he made the universe. What are the last days that it speaks of? According to Chicken Little, we are in the last days. According to the, the guy with the rainbow hair who stands on the corner of, of uh, Hayden, Ashbury, and San Francisco, we are in the last days. According to Hal Lindsey, we are in the last days. According to the great evangelist Billy Sunday, he was in the last days. Russian Orthodox uh, Nikon of the 17th century thought he was in the last days. Thomas Aquinas of the 14th century thought he was in the last days. The Persian church of the, uh, of the 4th century was convinced they were in the last days. The early Christians of the 1st century thought they were in the last days, and Christ's return would be any moment. What makes these the last days? Because we have more godlessness and sin? No, because I think if you did a study, you would see that every generation has always thought theirs was the most ungodly. What makes these the last days is that Christ has come, that his kingdom has been initiated, that the price has been paid, that salvation has been laid. And oh, we wait for the fulfillment. We wait for the completion of that kingdom. But these are the last days, just as the last days were 1,500 years ago or 1,900 years ago. These are the last days because it is finished. The battle with sin is over. We live in the last days not because Christ might return. We live in the last days because Christ has already come. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him he also made the universe. One of my pastors growing up was C.S. Coles, and, uh, and early in his ministry, he pastored in Atlanta. And some of you might have heard me tell this story. I've told it in a couple different contexts because it's just such a great picture for me. One day, uh, C.S. was young and, his, uh, and pastoring, he and his wife in Atlanta, and, and they'd gone to church Sunday morning, and they came home and, uh, and realized that they'd left their bathroom window open, probably not a big deal, um, but they walk in, 
and they are staring face to face with a squirrel sitting on the kitchen counter eating the breakfast toast. Now, in that moment, he said that his wife jumped in one jump all the way to the kitchen table. Um, So she's up on the kitchen uh, chair, and the squirrel... Uh, runs behind the refrigerator, and he's got to move the refrigerator, and he's got a yardstick out, and he's trying to get the squirrel to come out from behind the refrigerator, and, and she's screaming on the chair, and, and finally the, the squirrel takes off, runs into their bedroom, and runs under their bed. Wife on the chair, squirrel under the bed. So he goes and he lays down, and he looks, and he looks square at that squirrel in the face. And he tries to help that squirrel understand. He's trying to help him. But the squirrel takes off again and runs into the bathroom. They close the bathroom door. They think, oh, the window's open in there. Maybe he'll go away. A few hours later, they looked. Squirrel was gone. I always loved that story. One, because it's just funny. But the other, because I identify with thinking about how frustrating that must have been. You lay under the the bed looking at the squirrel... And no matter what you say, the squirrel does not understand you're there to help. The only way that you could communicate with the squirrel, possibly, that you're trying to help them get out of the mess that they've got themselves in, is you would have to become a squirrel yourself. And I know that's kind of a goofy story. But there is only one way that God could completely show how much he loves you and me He had to become one of us so that we might clearly understand the depth of his love for us. Look at verse 3. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Under the Old Testament law, there was a very specific way that sins were purged. The priest offered sacrifices every day, every day for the sins of the people. Every morning and every evening, a one-year-old lamb was offered. There was also another meat offering that was mixed with flour and oil. There was a drink offering of wine. The high priest himself also offered an offering. This one was baked in a pan. Half of it was used in the morning. Half of it was used in the evening. There was also specific sacrifices for specific sins every day. Now, sacrifice has no permanent value because it's only done for the sins of the past. If a person sins again, then another sacrifice would have to be made. This made for a hard, monotonous life for the priests because these rituals were the same day after day after day. They also tended in some ways to lose their significance. Daily sacrifice offered no future hope. And also because the priest was the one carrying out the sacrifice for the people, there was a a natural distance between the people and their relationship with God. Once a year, the high priest would offer a special sacrifice on what was known as the Day of Atonement. This sacrifice was to cover all of the sins that, that, that you didn't know about. These were the sins that you didn't realize you had committed, but you probably had, and so a sacrifice had to be made. And so the people looked forward to the Day of Atonement because they didn't know all the sins that they had committed. 
And so after the Day of Atonement, the, the nation of Israel would breathe a collective sigh of relief. They had been forgiven once again. The high priest on that day would go into the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred part of the temple. It was the place uh, where, where God's presence was believed to, to dwell in the temple. It was hidden behind a thick, heavy curtain. Only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in once a year. And it was so sacred that they would tie bells on the high priest so that you could hear that he was still alive in there. Because being in the holiness of God, maybe he wouldn't survive. They would tie a rope on his ankle so that if the bells stopped ringing, that if somehow he had died in there, in the holiness of God, they would pull him back out of the temple because they couldn't go in themselves. He would spend all day in there performing sacrifice. He never sat down. All day long, he performed the sacrifice. And only after he had left the Holy of Holies would he sit. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus serves as the high priest for Christians. He went behind this dark, on this dark day of atonement, the day of the cross, and made, as the book of Hebrews calls, a more excellent sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, so perfect that it would never have to be made again. He laid himself on the altar, not the usual lamb, but the very Son of God, the perfect lamb himself, and made atonement for our sins, not just for the people's sins of the past, but all the people who would be born, who would ever believe and call on his name. Their sins were atoned and paid for. The gospel tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, that veil, that curtain of the temple was torn in two, exposing the holy of holies. No longer was God hidden. No longer would would there be a need for that kind of sacrifice. No longer would there be a need for another day of atonement. For God's grace had been made known to the world, and the world would never be the same. Praise God. And Jesus sat down. The sacrifice was over. Atonement was made forever, and God's grace poured out on the world. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Sometime back, there was a, a Bible translation that came out called the Politically Correct Bible. And the goal of the Bible was to, to change some of the words to not be uh, offensive or exclusionary to others. And uh, so instead of sitting at the right hand of God, the translation said that, uh, that Jesus sit, sat down at the mighty hand of God. Now, their goal, apparently, was not to upset left-handers, I suppose. Now, uh, now I'm a left-hander, and we are persecuted people. There is no doubt about that. I just want to testify to that. But I've never been offended by this particular passage in Scripture. I have not been discriminated by. But in changing the meaning and trying to be inclusive, which in itself is not a bad thing, but they forever ruined the purpose of this passage. For in ancient days, there were only two ways to come into the king's presence. The first way was you were invited. That's the preferred way. If you're invited, you know it's safe to come in. The second way, if you're not invited, is just to show up in the king's presence. That's the dangerous way. If you showed up in the king's presence and the king did not raise his scepter and recognize your presence, you were put to death. So to come into the king's presence, this this was an act of, uh, of, of hope 
that you would be recognized. Do you have an idea which hand the king holds his scepter in? His right hand. Do you hear where Jesus sits now that the work of redemption is done? He sits at the right hand of the Father. Do you begin to get this picture that Jesus, who sits at the right hand of his Father, is the one who raises the scepter, who intercedes on our behalf when we come into the throne room of God and we have been given access to the King? We are always welcome in the Father's presence. We are one of his children. We can boldly go into the throne room of God. Christ has paid the way. And he has given us access to the God of the universe. The sacrificial lamb and the atonement that was paid will never lose its power. And it invites you that you can come into the presence of the living God. And Jesus sat musicians are going to come and um, today is World Communion Sunday. It's a day where churches all over the world are taking communion together. Now I know we don't usually take communion until the second Sunday of the month but I thought on this day wouldn't it be amazing and especially in light of this passage to give thanks to the gift of God the gift of God that has come to us through Jesus Christ To give thanks that we are a people who recognize that when we come to the table, we're not a people who are having to earn what we've been given. We come to the table through the gift of God. And that has been paid. Jesus has sat down. He he doesn't need to go back and do something more. You can be and know the forgiveness of God. But I also thought how special it would be to come to the table this morning, recognizing that there are brothers and sisters all over the world today who, are, who, who live in different circumstances and in different places. But they too are invited to the table. And this morning we recognize that we stand with Christians all over the globe who proclaim freedom. Not necessarily the freedom that it comes through any kind of government. But we stand with Christians all over the world who come to a table and proclaim the freedom that is the gift of God. You are loved. As Riley sang earlier, do not forget. You are a people who have been set free. The gift of God is you no longer have to live under sin and shame. It is finished. Jesus sat down and he welcomes you into the presence of a living God. Father, we give you thanks for this incredible gift that you have given. This gift that that helps us understand who you are through the gift of your son. That we get a picture of your grace and your love and your mercy that is outpoured on us. But not just the gift of who you are, but the sacrifice that has been laid down on our behalf once and for all. So, Father, we come to the table today celebrating that. This broken bread that reminds us of of the brokenness of uh, of Jesus laying down his life and, and dipped in a cup that reminds us of a blood shed for our sins once and for all.
We can't beg for it, borrow it, steal it, earn it. It is the free gift. And so we come to the table in thanksgiving. We come to the table in joy. We come to the table being reminded that brothers and sisters in Christ, who we won't know this side of heaven, are coming to tables like this all around the globe and are proclaiming who the Son has set free is free indeed. With joy, we give thanks. I stand accused by my regrets And the devil roars his empty threats I will preach the gospel to myself That I am not a man condemned For Jesus Christ is my defense My sin is nailed to the cross My soul is healed by the scars. The weight of guilt I bear no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When my doubt and shame hang over Like the arrows of the enemy I will run again to Calvary That rugged hill of hell's defeat My fortress and my victory My sin is nailed to the cross My soul is healed by the scars Now I'm alive forevermore praise the lord praise the lord it is finished sin is vanquished hallelujah praise the lord all the glory all the honor to my savior christ the lord it is finished sin is vanquished Hallelujah, praise the Lord. All the glory, all the honor to my Savior, Christ the Lord. When I stand before the throne at last, His blood will plead my innocence. I will worship Him with holy hands. And raise the song that never ends Of Jesus Christ, my righteousness My sin is nailed to the cross My soul is healed by the scars Now I'm alive forevermore Praise the Lord, oh praise the Lord Oh praise the Lord Praise the Lord. The gift of God given to us through Jesus Christ. The reminder that 
our sins are nailed to the cross. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Thanks be to God. Father, we are a people who come to your table with thanksgiving and joy today. Because maybe we need to be reminded fresh that you love us right where we are and want to lead us and grow us and sanctify us into the people you have called us to be. Not because of our effort or not because of our talent, but because of your grace and mercy that is sufficient for every one of us. Salvation has been paid. The debt has been cleared. We offer ourselves to you as a people who are called to go from this place, to share that good news, to live that mission in our life, servants of the God who has bought and paid for us. Our life is no longer our own, and yet it is in finding, being who you're, you've called us to be, we find real freedom. It is being a servant of the king, we find real freedom. So my prayer is that each one here would know your blessing and your grace. And that be reminded that all over the world today, your people, your people, are living out the faith in the, the corner of the world in which they live. And we return back to, to the prayer that we began our whole worship service with. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Right here on earth, as it is in heaven. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless you as you go. My sin is nailed to the cross. My soul is healed by the scars. Now I'm alive forevermore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My sin is nailed to the cross. Oh, yeah. My soul it came is to me. healed I got that. Thank you. by the scars. Now I'm alive. 